0: Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Ben and this is the Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast. Hey family, I hope you're well wherever you are and you got that thin blue smoke rolling. This is episode six of season seven, and season seven is completely focused all on the Australian barbecue scene. In fact, I'm so into the barbecue scene, I'm kicking off this season by talking to the top five ABA and KCBS teams. And today's guest is Lance Rosen of, now take a big sip of your drink, Big Boy Competition Barbecue Team, Big Boy Bricks and Mortar Barbecue Joint, Southern Grace Diner Bricks and Mortar Barbecue Joint, and Temples of Barbecue, the internationally awarded barbecue cookbook. So this is going to be a huge episode. So I hope you got an extra tall beer there with you to help you get you to help get you through it. So in this episode, we're going to find out. I mean, Lance is clearly obsessed with barbecue. So we're going to get the story behind how everything he's doing, how that started. Uh, we're going to get into the Temples of Barbecue cookbook with him as well, because that's got a fascinating story behind it. And it is uh, very highly internationally awarded. So we're going to find out more about that. We're going to talk about the Big Boy Barbecue Competition Team. We're going to talk about Southern Grace Diner, uh, his, his current barbecue joint that he's got running. We're going to talk about how his 2019 season went, his 2020 plans. We're going to talk about Camp Brisket. He just got back from the United States. How cool does Camp Brisket sound? If you're not sure what that is, you'll find out from Lance very soon. It is on my bucket list, so I am really keen to find out all about it. And we're going to round out the lesson. Sorry, we're going to round out the episode with a lesson on selecting ingredients. So Lance is going to give us a rundown on everything we need to know about Choosing meats and other ingredients. So this episode is gonna be absolutely jam-packed, and I cannot wait to get into it. So, let's not wait.
1: This is the internationally awarded Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast with your host, Ben Arnett. How long's it been since your last confession? And Lance, welcome to the confessional,
0: mate. How are you doing? Good, mate. Thanks for having me. Anytime, my friend, anytime. I'm glad you're that you're able to fit me in, you've got so many barbecue projects on the go at like all the time.
1: My wife is barbecue. What can I say? Sorry, did you say my life is barbecue or my Absolutely. wife is barbecue? <laughs> well, she she likes me because I smell of barbecue.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm lucky in that regard as well. My life, uh, my my wife considers barbecue to be a like a, a an aftershave or something, which is it, it's quite handy. A,
1: a barbecue cologne. There you go.
0: That's the word I was looking for, cologne, yes, 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 yes. All right, so as I said in the intro, you have got so many things going on. Before we get into each and every single one, take us back to the start. How did you get into
1: barbecue? In the very, very beginning, I always used to cook on charcoal. So being an exile or growing up in South Africa and moving to Australia, charcoal was our life. I mean, we never cooked barbecues or grills on gas. Um, And my first restaurant, which I opened in – 2005 was Rusk, um, South African's contemporary fine diner with charcoal grills. Um, Charcoal uh, grill that I had was custom made by a Yugoslavian guy in his back garden. And, you know, we used to always cook on coals and we used to use the coals at the end of the night to, you know, wrap meats in silver foil, wrap a leg of lamb for the next day's special and cover it in the coals and cover in the ashes or sweet potatoes or that kind of thing and run them as specials the next day. My brother-in-law moved to the U.S. for um, work. He was supposed to only be there for a couple of years, and he's still been there so a long, long time. <laughs> and we went to go and we went to go and visit, and they're in New York City. And um, on our last day, they walked us. They're like, "Well, we'll go out for a family dinner, take all the kids, take everybody out." And this is 2008, 2009, and we went to a barbecue joint called Rub, which is R-U-B, Real Urban Barbecue which was a Kansas City-style barbecue joint, which I found out later underneath the Chelsea Hotel. I was uh, really keen to be going because I'm a big, uh, you know, Janice Joplin, Bob Dylan fan, Jimi Hendrix, and they all wrote at the Chelsea Hotel. They, you know, hung out there in the 60s and, you know, uh, way wow. back then. So um, I was cool. really keen. Yeah, I was really keen to go to the Chelsea Hotel. I was just like, I didn't know about barbecue. Um, I'd read a, an article once upon a time about a guy called Ed Mitchell who did whole hog barbecue in the Carolinas that was in a severe magazine and I you know, pulled out the article and, and read it. <laughs> I didn't really know much about it you know and um, anyway so we sat down and it was a very um, dodgy kind of dive bar kind of joint, sports bar at the front and rickety tables out the back and little uh, smoker out the front, which they had, like the old red schoolhouse, uh, JR Smokers. Um, and, um, you know, they put down a platter, and we just got a platter to share, and it was uh, called the uh, the Baron because it was um, Paul Kirk, who was the Baron of barbecue, one of the founding members of the Kansas City Barbecue Society, was one of the partners in the business. Anyway, so I just my jaw kind of hit the ground, and it had everything, you know, ham, sausages, brisket, ribs, chicken, turkey, you know, it was all the meats were there, pork, everything else. And, you know, I ate this meat and I was just blown away by the simplicity of it and kind of just fell in love with it.
0: Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And it's, it, so your, your whole life has been basically turned around by just this chance introduction at a hotel that you're going to because you're into music at the time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know what the worst thing was? It was the last night of my holiday. So we were flying oh. the next day. So I didn't of get chance it was. to explore it any further, you know. So I came back to Australia and I'm like, right, right, I'm going to go and do barbecue, you know. And that was amazing. How do you do that, you know. And, um, you know, 2008, 2009, there wasn't a lot on the internet about it, um, you know, and so first stop at the, in those days, barbecues galore. That was the barbecue shop that everyone shopped at. That's all it was, so yeah. You know, Pretty much. And I walked into barbecues galore and they didn't know what the hell I was talking about. You know, the, the, the four burner gas-hooded barbecues, that's what they called barbecue. That's all they knew at the, in those days and couldn't find anybody that had them. And, you know, kind of sat in the back of my head and I was doing different things at the restaurant at the time, um, trying to replicate this without actually having a proper smoker. And then about f- four or five months later, I, I found a guy who – was bringing in um, pellet smokers um, and I found, I got a Weber Smoky Mountain and I started playing with barbecues. Um, You know, part of the issue I had back then in 2009, 2008, 2009, was there was no wood, there were no rubs, there was no No. fuel, none of that, no barbecue sources, none of that existed. So everything I had to do, we kind of did from scratch. Um, And the biggest issue I had with the Smoky Mountains was there was no wood. Um, You know, I I really didn't like uh, red gum for smoking. Uh, There's a little bit of iron bark around. I called a guy about an apple, some apple wood, and he's like, I'll just bring a chainsaw and a trailer and come and get some, you know. Oh, wow. Um, Yes, that was kind of like nobody knew what I was talking about and there was really no interest in what I was doing. So um, other than the fact that, you know, the first special I put on at the restaurant was a pulled pork special. So I did a—I decided I'm going to do a, a barbecue plate as a special, and I did some pork and um, I cooked it at home. I had you know I had my wife running and checking the temperatures for me, and then I ran home from the restaurant when it was ready, pulled it out in the afternoon, let it rest. I did some pit smoked beans, some coleslaw, some homemade barbecue sauce, and some chips. That was the platter. And um, I'm like, yeah, this is no way this is going to sell, you know. Like, <laughs> um, you know, and we opened at, We used to open at 5:30 at night. Uh, at six o'clock, you know, the first customers came in, and by six thirty, I'd sold every single portion I had, and people wow. were just going absolutely bananas for it. The staff, the the customers, everyone, everyone ordered it. Everyone, the first person that ordered, it, everybody saw it and then that was it. So from there, I'm like, oh, I've got to do more of this, you know, and that kind of just got me going.
0: Yeah, it certainly would have been quite quite motivating to sell out in 30 minutes.
1: Pretty much. You know, that's all we sold. I mean, you know, you got all the other sections in the restaurant and we had, you know, a very uh, substantial kitchen brigade at that time and, um, you know, that's all we sold. So that was great.
0: Yeah. And so then that sort of led into um, the big boy barbecue joint. Was that right?
1: Pretty much. So... Um, we're coming up to the to the end of the year, and we always used to close like just around Christmas for about three weeks. Christmas in the first two weeks in January because it's pretty quiet that time of year. And um, I said to my wife, I said to her, you know, you know, why don't we close the restaurant and do barbecue? And she's like, you know, what are you talking about? Like seriously, you, you know, shut up, you know, because you know it doesn't <laughs> exist. It doesn't exist here. If somebody if somebody was interested in it, they'd be doing it. You know, yeah. and we should, I'm like, well, we should do it. And she's like, you know, go back to sleep. It was three in the morning oh. because that's when <laughs> we have those conversations. Anyway, so, you know, it, it wouldn't go away in my head. And we were, we were pretty successful. The restaurant was, you know, contemporary fine dining. We were booked out two weeks in advance. You know, we were we were doing very, very nice food and we are being really well recognised for what we were doing. Anyway, I I talked her into it. We decided, right, we're going to close the restaurant down and we're going to do barbecue. So we did that and then I decided, well, I can't do barbecue until I've, you know, I I know more about it. So packed up the family and took a trip to Kansas City because the first barbecue I'd eaten was Kansas City-style barbecue. That's what I knew. So so we we went to Kansas City. I'm like, we're going to go to Kansas City and we're going to eat barbecue. Makes sense to go back to where it all began. Pretty much. So that's what we did. And, you know, met a whole heap of people. Very lucky to uh, the Kansas City Barbecue Society were having their gala dinner in Kansas City that year. Um, When I Googled what's on in Kansas City, I saw that. So I, you know, joined the Kansas City Barbecue Society and I'm like, I'm going to go to the dinner and try and meet some people. And I, I knew nobody. I really knew nobody. And I knew nothing about, I really didn't know a lot about the scene of barbecue. And this is now um, uh, uh, 2010, end of 2010, 2011. So how do you handle a situation like that when you're walking into the
0: KCBS annual dinner and sort of you don't know anybody and you don't really sort of know a whole lot about what you're talking about with barbecue? you just sort of walk in and pick someone and shake their hand and say, hi, I'm Lance and I like barbecue?
1: Pretty much, not not really. Well, what happened was like you got to walk up and you got to go to the registration desk and get your name badge, Right. So I walk in, I go, hi, I'm Lance and I want to, you know, can I grab my name badge? And they go, you Australian? I'm like, yes, I am. They go, do you know Bob? I'm like, Bob? <laughs> like, <seems laughs> a big country. Who the hell is Bob? They're like, no, no, you, do you know Bob? I'm like, yeah, it's a big country, you know. And they're like, oh, you got you got to get with Bob, you know. I'm like, oh, who the hell is this Bob guy, right? Anyway, so, you know, every person I met was like, do you know Bob? You're Australian. <laughs> you yeah, know, where are you from? Do you know Bob? I'm like because they love the accent and, you know, it's kind of unusual uh, for an Australian person to be in Kansas City in the middle of nowhere, you know. Anyway, so Bob turned out to be this guy whose name is Robert Carruthers, who's passed on, unfortunately, and um, I meet Robert, uh, Bob and Robert and, He he turns out that he is the partner of Carolyn Wells, who is the first lady of barbecue and um, one of the founding members of the Kansas City Barbecue Society. And he's this Australian guy from northern New South Wales who was in Kansas City and knew a lot about barbecue and was about to set up a um, travel travel. Company doing ad, like adventure tours, barbecue tours through American South. And, um, you know, so we were chatted and he introduced me to Carolyn, who I didn't know who she was, but this is my partner, Carolyn. This is this one and that one. And I had, you know, people out there with displaying barbecues and goods and stuff like that. So I took a, like a bit of a showcase. So I walked around, I met the guys from Yoda. I mean, I do not know anything about Yoda brand. They've kind of been starting up and they were talking about maybe we'll come to Australia and there's nothing in Australia yet, that kind of trip. Anyway, so um, they go, well, why don't we catch up for a coffee over breakfast tomorrow? So I'm like, oh, that'll be great. So uh, we sit down and I say to them, look, and you know, I've fallen in love with barbecue. I'm out here to have a look and see what it's all about and they were like, right, we know exactly who to put you with, right? You're going to go to speak to this person, and we're going to introduce you to that person. And they pretty much introduced me to everybody I needed to go and speak to, uh, starting off with the guys at Joe's Kansas City, you know. And I met a guy there by the name of Doug Wargle, who is the marketing manager of uh, Joe's Kansas City. And um, they um pretty much walked me, and I said, hi, I'm Lance. So they sent me to come and say hello to you, and that made the call before I got there. And he's like, fantastic. You know, we're very excited that you want to take barbecue to Australia and that it doesn't exist there yet. And, you know, let's walk you around. And this is our production manager and, you know, spend as much time with whoever you want to spend time with and chat. And they pretty much gave me production timelines and recipes and spoke to me about answered every single question I had, you know. And, you know, it was like that. It was just very generous. And for me, that was Probably the biggest surprise and the introduction to barbecue is how generous everybody was, generous with their knowledge and their time.
0: God, that's an amazing opportunity to get that kind of detailed information from Joe's. We went there. Uh we went to Kansas City last year for the MBQA conference and the MBQA people took us to Joe's and Slaps and Plowboys. And uh they took us to the original Joe's down underneath the old, it's still a functioning gas station, but the barbecue stuff's all downstairs underneath. And then the ground floor is half gas station, half barbecue joint. And it was phenomenal. The food there was amazing. So that is an incredible opportunity you had right there.
1: It really was. And I mean, at the same time as this is going on, there's still this Kansas city barbecue society conference team of the year stuff, all that kind of stuff. So Uh, There's a guy by the name of Rob McGee who was smoking hogs on the Hilton, I think was his team name. And uh, (laughs) he he then went to go and open Q39. So um, I met him there and he's like um, at the Hilton near the airport, which is miles away from everything. He's like, you know, so I'm like, oh, can I come for lunch? And so I went out then had a chat to him. And he said, look, I'm a, you know, I'm about to leave here. I'm about to open my own place, and tell me about what you're planning on doing. And we had a chat about, you know, where we wanted to go because my background is also in in kitchens, four and five star hotels, which I'd run, um, as well as you know French fine dining where I started out. So we had a lot in common, and we had a good chat about that, and it was just absolutely amazing time because you know you, you meet these people and you you really don't know who they are in the society or in the community at large and you you've just met these people and you know you're no threat to anybody because you're not opening up down the road from them. And everybody's very excited that you, you you're interested in their passion and that you and going to introduce it in another country. So everyone was incredibly generous. And I think that's one of the massive lessons I learned very early on is that lesson about barbecue family and about sharing and about growing with people's help because nobody gets there on their own.
0: No, you're absolutely right. And that is one thing I'm really happy has uh, has transferred across when the barbecue culture has made the jump across the Atlantic is that um, is that, that generous spirit has come with it.
1: Yes, absolutely. I think you know. There's when when the competition um, realizes that by supporting each other, we can grow the community. When the restaurants support each other rather than trying to take a stab at each other, I think that's a very big turning point. And I think we're kind of getting there now. You know,
0: mm, definitely, definitely. So this trip that you were talking about that you took to Kansas City was that the kickstart of the Temples of Barbecue uh,
1: tour. No, that was way, way, way before. Oh, okay. So, oh, so we're not even there yet. No, that was 2009, 2010. Anyway, so what happens? Well, I come back, I open my barbecue restaurant, and we had, you know, the, f- the first barbecue restaurant in Melbourne, possibly Australia, and the first bricks and mortar. I know there was like Paul from Silver Creek had the smokers, but, you know, nobody was really talking about barbecue. It wasn't even a conversation. Um, until you know, we were discovered by some food writers, and they started writing about us. And barbecue started gaining traction in Australia, as it was overseas as well. Similar time frame. Anyway, so you know what happens is you have got a barbecue restaurant, and people are coming in and discovering barbecue. And so you talk about barbecue all day. I'm going to the US. Where should I go? Where should I go here? Where should I go there? And I turned around to my wife and I said, "So you know, we should write a book. We should you should do a barbecue tour around America and write a book." So that was twenty fourteen. That's now three or four years later, uh, four years later. So I spoke to a photographer friend of mine. I'm like, "Oh look, we're thinking about doing a book. Would you, would you be interested in uh, doing photographs?" He was a uh, an ex chef by the name of Dean Cambray, uh, who had Cambray's Restaurant in Melbourne. When I was doing fine dining, he was the other you know major fine dining joint. And uh, he turned around to me and he went, go now. Don't wait. Go and do it. He goes, <laughs> goes barbecue, people are starting to get interested. Don't tell anybody about what you're doing. Just go and do your trip. Come back and write the book. He goes, I just finished uh, a, another cookbook. I know editors. I know um, layout people, design people. He goes, I can help you pull it all together. I had a quick meeting with an editor. I had a quick meeting with a design person. And we pretty much went and booked the trip. So we said to the kids, oh, do you want to come with or, you know, this is business, you know, because they've been on a few trips with us before and they're a bit younger then and they weren't that keen, but they were like keen to come along. And we, we decided, well, the, well the, the, the proviso of the trip is going to be what? You've got to have a guideline about where you're going to go and how you're going to choose places. So what we decided was we're going to go to the four main barbecue regions in America, which is Texas, Memphis, Kansas City and the Carolinas. And we, we're going to look for... The temples of barbecue, the places where people go to worship the gods of smoke and meat, hence the name temples of barbecue. That's how that came around. So we decided, you know, if there's more than one place, we're going to go to the original. And we're not going to look for the latest and greatest. We're going to look for those iconic places barbecue joints you know Mm. the places that are established the places that people that they've been cooking on wood and they're cooking on wood and smoke forever so that's how we determined where we were going to go and plotted out this trip and went and did this barbecue trip and it was pretty full-on i mean i was writing taking notes everywhere i was going i was coming back to the room i was uh uploading photos so that the, the people involved in the book could see where we were going. I was writing notes every day. I was writing about the book every day before I went to bed, you know, get to get two or three hours sleep, get up and do it all again <laughs> the next day, you know. And we, we would have done, you know, 4,000 miles, 8,000 k's, you know, Perth and back plus, you know, uh, from Melbourne. And, um, you know, so did, did the trip, did 70-odd barbecue joints in about three weeks. Which is pretty full on. 70,
0: sorry, 70, 7 yep, zero yep, yep. In three weeks. Yep, pretty much.
1: It's, oh my God. Yeah. Well, the, the most recent trip I did, which was Texas, I did 10 days and I did um, 25 barbecue joints in about 10 days. Oh, and I had wow. two, in those 10 days, I had two days at Camp Brisket, so I wasn't traveling. So it was about eight days, eight days of barbecue travel. So um, I have, I have, barbecue issues (laughs) quite quite happy to admit that anyway so yeah we came back we wrote the book and um through a whole chain of events we were nominated for and received the award for best barbecue cookbook in the world in 2015 so um we we came we did the road trip in 2014 september um and the book was published in 2015 and in 2016, we got the award for 2015 for the best barbecue cookbook in the world, which is surreal. I mean, I wasn't even going to go to the award ceremony. When <laughs> they let us know. We were in the last three. They, they basically sent us, a, you know, you go through a process where they go, oh, you've been nominated for best barbecue cookbook in Australia. And that was, you know, well done. You got the best barbecue cookbook in Australia. And so I'm high-fiving everybody. And as far as I was concerned, that was a win. And then you get an award say, uh, and an email saying, you know, oh, by the way, you know, you're on the short list for best in the world. And you go, oh, well, who's on the list? And that that year was Franklin Barbecue and a few other places. And I'm like, there's no way we're going to win that. Like, seriously, you know, I mean, I'm an ex-South African Australian writing about American barbecue, you know. Um, Anyway, so the, the final email was, look, you're down to the last three. You're in the final three. Please come to the awards ceremony. And I'm like, well why would i do that you know like as if i'm going to win you know yeah. and uh, it ended up going and we ended up winning and honestly i was shaking like a little girl for hours afterwards <laughs> and um <laughs> you know it was an amazing thing and sometimes still got to pinch myself because you know that you know who who wins the award for best barbecue cookbook in the world you know it's it's i mean you you would never expect that
0: and as you said, up against some big names too, like uh, Franklin's barbecue book there as well. I mean, that's that's a phenomenal
1: achievement. Yes, well, I mean, I mean, this is worldwide. You know, there's barbecue books from the UK and and people doing barbecue, not only American style barbecue, but barbecue all over the world. There was an English guy, there was Franklin's, there was people in 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 the in Europe as well uh, where barbecue has taken hold as well. So, you know, it, it, amazing and very very honoured to to have received that award.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah. And so was this about the time that you started putting together you, your ideas for Southern Grace Diner?
1: No, that was that was about 2015, 2016. So we kept running Big Boy Barbecue. We opened up to about uh, – we opened up to three different stores. Um, and as – you know, after the third store opened, we got a short lease on a location that we liked. When the lease came up, the landlord was playing silly buggers with us, so we ended up closing the third store. We went back to the two stores. And then um, in uh, 20... Um, just going, going back now. Uh, last year, um, 2019... Um, End of 2018, I was like, "Well, I'm not loving what I'm doing anymore. I'm just not not enjoying it. You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 um, the same old, same old. We're very much tied into the the menu, the way it was, um, you know, and the, I just wasn't enjoying what I was doing. So I, I kind of felt like I needed to do a change. We were doing different specials. The the business kind of took us in a direction." It gets a life of its own, if I can put it that way. So when we started, because there was no woods and there was no smokers, you know, we ended up we started off cooking on pellets. And then when we moved to our second store, it was in the city, and there was a rooftop bar, and they wouldn't let us put a smoker in the shop. So we ended up smoking off site and running the food in, oh, um, what a pain. Doing all of that kind of stuff. You know, so the business kind of just takes you where it takes you. You know, uh, it gets a life of its own, and I, I kind of felt like. I wanted to do more of an artisanal style barbecue, um, you know, and I kind of felt that the, the barbecue community and the barbecue knowledge of the people around us had changed and grown up. We were no longer doing an introductory to barbecue, basic barbecue, which is kind of the way we started our menu um, and kind of felt that we were tied into what we'd originally done and we just we couldn't Once we were going to change what we were doing, we might change and come up with a whole new concept. So I'd I'd fallen in love with, I have a love of home-style food. I guess that's what it comes down to. And southern food. I mean, I've done this barbecue trip where we wrote the book, but I've done several other trips to to the US and been to lots of different places um, in the south specifically. I mean, I have a massive love for the south and small-town America. Um, And some of my favorite dining is in little diners and little restaurants where, you know, you're getting home style food. So we discovered this style of food called meat and three, which was started off in Nashville and canteen style where, you know, you pick your meat, be it fried chicken or meatloaf or barbecue ribs or whatever you get pick your sides and canteen style and sit down and eat. And for me it was very reminiscent of Australia and I guess the 70s and 80s and pub style food in Australia where you get your roast and your veg and, your, you know, your home style food, you know. And more and more what I'd noticed was that people are not cooking at home, um, people are getting a lot of takeaways and people kind of had a nostalgia, or I have a bit of a nostalgia towards home style cooking of the grandmothers and the mothers, you know. And so the style of food, the meat and three was something that kind of appealed to me um, and soul food in itself. And for me, barbecue is a part of soul food. When you look at soul food, what soul food is, barbecue is one component of soul food.
0: Now, is 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 soul food like a a specific genre of food in terms of meats and veggies, or is soul food um, the the affective uh, domain attached to that food? So is it like is it is it soul food if it reminds you of family and home or is it soul food if it ticks box ABC of ingredients?
1: Well, I think I think soul food is um, a southern style of food um, and it, it, it encompasses many things. So it's comfort food. Um, It's also um, often food of the the poorer people, you know, and, um, you know, when you're thinking uh, secondary cuts and oxtails and things like that and candied yams and barbecue and whole hog barbecue and, you know, brisket, for example, you know, brisket is a secondary cut and was often not used on the table of the more affluent Um, people because, you know, it was tougher and needed to be cooked longer and so it was given to the poorer people. It was cheaper, you know, and so that's kind of where soul food fits in. So it ticks some boxes like that, but I think it also ticks the comfort boxes as well, comfort food, you know. And so when you think about your nana and your you know, your mother and the food that they cooked when you were younger. And, you know, for us in Australia, soul food might be, you know, a Vegemite and cheese sandwich, you know, or, a, <laughs> you know, a toast. No, it might very well be because that's, you know, when, when you're not, you know, if you're Jewish and you're sick and you eat chicken soup, that's soul food, you know, food for the soul, you know. I think kind of relates to that, but the soul food that I'm talking about is more specific to the American South um, and the small towns that I love so much you know, my love affair with the American South and small towns, you know. So um, one of the things about the the, the concept, so I decided to, that I was going to, I wanted to, I needed to take a break from what I was doing because I was getting very frustrated and not happy with what we were doing and I wanted to take a bit of a break. I had this idea for soul food in the back of my head and um, went on another, you know, road trip because that's what you do when you, you know, when you need to take a break, you need to get away and you need to just relax and think about it, you know. And with the soul food thought in mind, I, I travelled to places where I thought I might see stuff that, you know, would spark my interest and my energy again for the style of food that I'm, I'm talking about. So we travelled through, this was September 2018, um, and it was the year of my 50th, and one of my really good school friends' 50th, so we did this road trip together. So we we went, um, it's a big trip, so we went Kansas City, because, you know, all good things start in Kansas City, and I've got so many people that I love there that I, I, you just, you know, it's like seeing family, so you've got to go and catch up with everyone. So we went Kansas City to uh, St. Louis, Missouri, St. Louis, Missouri to Cape Girardeau, which is where Old Hickory is made. I wanted to go and see the factory there, wow. and then we and then we went to Nashville. Now, Nashville, oh my God, is the one of the most amazing cities. that's really happening and it's really vibing. And Meet and Three was founded and kind of started in Nashville, Tennessee. So we did the the you know country music in Nashville, and then from Nashville we went through Memphis obviously Graceland, all that kind of stuff. And then we went to a place called um, Clarksdale, Mississippi. Now, uh, if you're a blues fan, you know Clarksdale, Mississippi is where Robert Johnson wrote, uh, did his deal with the devil at the crossroads and uh, is the home of the Delta Blues. So my friend and I are very much into Delta Blues, so we stayed in Clarksdale, Mississippi, and Morgan Freeman has a club called... um, um, Ground Zero Blues Club in Missis- in Clarksdale, Mississippi. And we went along to all the Delta Blues Museums, you know, BB King Museum, awesome. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it was amazing. And spent some time in uh, Mississippi and drove down through Mississippi all the way down to New Orleans, which is – so we've done country, we've done blues, and then we get to New Orleans and we're doing jazz, you know. So we did jazz and the food and all that kind of stuff in New Orleans, which is amazing. And then drove across the Gulf of Mexico to Savannah, Georgia, which had been on my bucket list for a very long time, and ate some amazing soul food there as well. So and that was the the trip, which kind of left me with this desire to do meat and three. And when I say meat, I'm talking specifically barbecue and three, uh, with the idea of doing high quality meats, but then being able to represent them and support them with high quality vegetable dishes soul food dishes dishes that were nostalgic that your grandparents and mum might have made and trying to bring back like a family meal time is kind of what it was about so we only open on sundays um and for the people that are coming after church and family get-togethers family parents and their kids having a family meal together because i kind of feel that people aren't doing that anymore and they're not doing it as much as they should so uh, that was the whole idea behind the concept. And the concept is it's all cooked fresh to order and when it's gone, it's gone. So we might have five or six different meats on a day and we might have 18 to 20 different side dishes every every day that we open. But once they run out, they run out. So I'll make one, one big platter of whatever vegetable we're doing and, you know, I might have a few spare, but that's kind of the way that works.
0: Eighteen to twenty side dishes. How do you come up with all those different ideas?
1: I read a lot, and I, I, I love food and I love reading about food. I have a minor cookbook obsession, which is actually a major cookbook obsession. <laughs> I've been buying I've been buying cookbooks for twenty five, thirty years. Um, I got a delivery today from Amazon. We love Amazon. Anyway, so, you know, I'm, I'm constantly reading and I'm constantly challenging myself. And one of, the, one of my personal goals for this new concept was that every week that I'm open, I'm going to try something new. I'm going to do a new recipe that I've never done before. I'm going to do a new dish, and I'm going to try something different every week. So the challenge for myself was: be it a pie, or be it a vegetable, be it a side, or be it a, a you know a new style of meat or a new rub or whatever else. I'm going to I'm going to force myself to do new things, and force myself to try new things and explore that. And some weeks they'll work, and some weeks they won't work. Um, I, I tried to do a St. Louis uh, gooey butter cake, which is a St. Louis uh, speciality, and I cooked that cake four different times and I really wasn't happy with it. But um, I think I've got a recipe on the way that I'm going to try shortly. So this last weekend, um, just having come back from my Texas trip, uh, there were a few dishes that I'd never done before. I did a pecan nut pound cake with chocolate sauce. I did... Um, a carrot flan or a carrot souffle, which I saw in Tejas Barbecue in Tomball, Texas. And I did a um, a jalapeno coleslaw, jalapeno and apple coleslaw that I saw in uh, Puska Family Barbecue in Hutto, Texas. So just trying new things and just trying to keep being dynamic and keep giving people something fresh to come back from. You're listening to the internationally awarded Smoking Hot Confessions podcast with massive barbecue nerd, Ben Arnott.
0: Well, mate, that all sounds absolutely incredible and I guess brings us into the 2019 uh, competition circuit. So it obviously went really well for you. You did really well in the, in the KCBS um, ladder. Tell us about 2019 in terms of your competition barbecue side.
1: That's an interesting one. I wasn't actually sure how many competitions I was going to do last year, and the bug gets you. And, it does. Um, uh-huh. I, I don't know how many I did in there, and probably about 10 comps, every single KCBS comp in Australia, so we travelled all over for that. And, um, I, um, you know, I, I, it's interesting because at one stage we were, you know, we were leading the competition, and the way they did uh, last year was they had the best of three competitions and with the bonus points, you know, 35-odd teams plus, you'll get your bonus points for that. So um, we did a lot of the small comps as well, pretty much did everything. And, um, you know, in the end we ended up um, down to the last comp of the year. We were um, um, second and Paul from um, King and His Q was chasing us down i did the calculation before we went and i worked out that because of you know the bigger competitions that he'd done if he'd scored you know third or up he would have taken it out and i needed to get gc to uh to actually get up there so um it was going to be a, a points battle right to the end um we ended up being third knocked out of second place by one point um but had a fantastic year it was good year.
0: Yeah, that must have been tense. It came right down to the wire at the last competition of the year. That was um, Smoking in the Valley in Perth, wasn't it? That was where I saw you over there.
1: It was, yes. So on uh, Cup Day in Australia, uh, in Melbourne, there was a uh, competition at Cranbourne Racecourse. Uh, Paul came down for that. And, you know, um, at that stage, I, he kind of did the points count and was like, oh, I'm going to go to Perth. I wasn't going to go to Perth until I found out he was going because he would have knocked me out of uh, <laughs> second place. So I, with like two days to spare, I'm like, all right, I've got to go. He's going. I have to go as well. Um, lucky, a really good friend of ours over there um, from Molly's Smokehouse, Jason and Bundy weren't competing that weekend because it was his birthday. So I called up and went, oh, can you help me out with gear? He goes, look, I'm not competing that weekend because it's my birthday. I'll give you all my gear. i got a comp, set, a comp kit sitting there waiting to go. So I, I grabbed all of his gear. I was cooking on, you know, every smoke I'd never cooked on before and uh, just packed up my gear and with two days notice was out there doing a comp. So that was pretty full on. It was great.
0: So did you basically just like grab your knife roll and some uh, some rubs, sauces and injections and jump on the plane?
1: Pretty much. Uh, rubs, sauces, injections and my meats and knives and off we went. That was it.
0: Oh, right. Okay. So you, so you took your, your all, <coughs> all your meats over with you. Yeah. What so was- my
1: fly in, fly out uh, strategy, my first time I flew in and flew out to do a comp I spoke to butchers where I was going and they were going to put meats aside. But you know what happens is they don't get to age up the meats properly for you and you really don't know what it is you're getting until you land. So the stress of that was just, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm actually going to prep my meats here, get my meats that I'm happy with and um, make that selection and take them with me. So I take them with me. So that's when I fly in to do a comp, um, rubs, sauces, injections, and I've got it down to the minimal minimal amount of kit that I need. You know, one tub of uh, sauce, one tub, you know, the rubs. And um, I don't cook a lot of meat at a comp. I cook one brisket, I cook two pork butts, I cook three or four ribs, and I cook maybe um, fourteen pieces of chicken. You know, so I don't cook a hell of a lot of meat because it gets really expensive if you're doing ten comps a year.
0: Oh yeah, no doubt about that at all. I, I'm, uh, I'm an ultimate tight ass when it comes to competition barbecue when I'm competing and like I'll, I'll still lay down a thousand twelve hundred $1,200 per competition without even trying. Yes.
1: Well, yeah. You don't have to, you don't have to blink. I mean, you're getting a, a decent quality Wagyu brisket and you're spending you know, 150 to 200 bucks for a brisket. If you get two of those, it's 400 bucks. You know, and so, you know, if you do, uh, you know, 10 comms, that's another two grand extra a year by cooking two briskets. So I used to cook two briskets and a good friend of mine, Kurt from Fastlane, turned around and went, well, if you cook one, you really can't stuff it up. You really have to look after it. I'm like, you know what? You're right because if I've got two, if I stuff one up, I've still got the other one as spare. So I cook less and you've just got to baby that thing, you know. You just, you know, you can't let it go because you've only got the one. So uh, it was, it's an interesting strategy.
0: It is, but I do know that you are quite fond of the mini beers. So how does that go with, uh, in, in terms of, uh, you know, not, not accidentally knocking over that jar of sauce or making sure you keep a keen eye on that brisket? Are you, are you doing that old trick on us where we all throw our heads back for the shot and yours goes over the shoulder? What's happening there?
1: Hell no. You can <laughs> good alcohol. Mate, anybody can do it sober. Yeah, true. All right. True. Anybody can cook a piece of meat sober. We want to uh, have as much uh, fun as possible. Uh, we do drink, you know. I try the night before the comp, I try to ease back a bit. But we do have we, – we got our uh, beverage uh, rituals, you know. Usually at 6 o'clock in the morning it's uh, bourbon coffee and 9.22 it's, you know, the, the shots. We do shots, good luck shots with whoever's around us. Um, You know, we do go through quite a lot of bourbon over the weekend, you know. And then uh, the other turn-in strategy is when you start turning in chicken, that's when you start drinking hard. And you've got turn-ins every half an hour. So, you know, you've got a couple of hours of hard drinking. By the time you get to – your brisket's done, you're done, you know. (laughs) Both you and the brisket are done. Pretty much.
0: Now, I I came in late on that 922 shot um, over there, over in Perth. What's the significance of 922.
1: Well, in the US, it was the 922 was good luck shots. I think it's before, you know, everything's on, everything's got time. And I'm not sure about the exact significance of 922 itself, but I know that that's when they do good luck shots. And a lot of people in the US changed that to 911 after, you know, the uh, attacks, um, but we still go with 922, and I think it's about com- camaraderie and getting people together and wishing people good luck. And very often, you know, the people who come to 922 shots do well. You know, I, I you know, I, I, there's been times where it's been grand champions and reserve grand champions that were all at 922s. You know, so that's uh, you know, come around, have shots with me, and you know, you might stand a chance, might help. You never know. <laughs>
0: I'm, I'm still sticking by the theory that you're getting everybody else loaded and tossing yours over the shoulder
1: oh no most certainly <laughs> not I, um you know i think the uh, the first grand championship i won i think you know i think it was an afternoon where it was i was very very drunk um and you know um one of the guys was Pouring the bourbons, and somebody came up to me and went, Oh, that's it. What beer are you drinking? Because it filled up the cup with so much bourbon that it looked like it was a beer. Oh, God. You know, I was pretty, um, pretty plastered, but, you know, we have fun with that. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, the night before I stopped drinking, uh, I don't drink the night before a comp um, much. And, um, you know, during the day, the Saturday, if, if you're turning in on a Sunday and you're cooking Saturday night, I'll drink on the Saturday, but the Saturday night I stopped. And then you know it's Sunday morning at six AM bourbon coffees and we start up again. So just try and keep focused on that and move forward that way.
0: Yeah, fair enough. All right, so 2019, how's that set you up for 2020? What what do you got uh, planned?
1: Well, it's it's interesting. I I, I, I I compete a lot on my own. Um, occasionally, I have people that run boxes for me and turn in, but often, very often, I'm. Cooking my meat and doing my own turn ins. So it's given me a lot of confidence in my abilities to do what I'm doing and not be reliant on other people. Um, I'm re- you know, I kind of feel like my system came together really well towards the end of the year. There are a lot of little tips and tricks that I do that I can do it on my own. For example, uh, at 11am before the first turn in at 12, I'll heat up all my sources and I'll put them in a flask and I'll put them in my cambro So during the turn in times, I don't have to worry about heating any of the sources. Everything's ready to go. So little things like that. But, you know, it gave me a real fire for this year coming up, 2020. Uh, first comp of the year is next weekend at the... Uh, Governor's Cup Invitational in Perth. I'm going to try out a few new uh, rubs and combos and things like that, a few new flavour profiles, and uh, have a bit of fun with it this year, I think. This is my third year competing seriously.
0: Yeah, and so do you only compete in KCBS?
1: Yeah, at, at the moment that's what I'm doing. I, 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 there's a lot of points across the, the two different sanctioning bodies. Um I was very lucky. Uh, My first year competing, I competed in both. Uh, Last year, I was asked to be on the International Board of Advisors for the Kansas City Barbecue Society, uh, which I accepted. And I kind of felt that once you're in those kinds of positions, you know, you just need to stick with where you are, you know. Um, And... You know, I don't feel any animosity or anything towards ABA. I have competed in ABA before, and a lot of the guys compete in both. But if I'm going to give my attention to one ladder, I guess uh, I don't have enough time or money to compete in both to make it worth my while. So I'll just go with KCBS because that's where I am at the moment.
0: Yeah, I guess that makes sense because if you can do ten competitions in a year, you're going to be splitting it five and five, or just give or just pick one and give it ten good goes.
1: Well, I'd rather give it 10 good goes. I mean, that's that's kind of the way I am. You know, I, I do love the comps and I will go to a comp and just – hang out, drink and turn in meat and, you know, like uh, King Valley is a great one for social social comp, you know, and, you know, it's not always about the little ladder and about the points. You know, Burley was like that as well where you go and you hang out and you do what you do and, you know, if you turn in food, even better, you know. Um, (laughs) But, you know, it's a bonus, right? You you might go along and you might compete and have fun and if you don't turn in something, well, you don't turn it in. But, you know, there's that social aspect. And I love the social aspect of the competition um it's my weekend away and it's it's my relaxed time you know and I guess it's I'm cooking barbecue but it's barbecue sport if you would so even for my relaxing time I'm cooking barbecue when I'm working I'm cooking barbecue and when I'm relaxing I'm cooking barbecue but it's very different you know and catching up with the old friends and all the people that are in the community is really and truly what the barbecue competitions are like for me you know if I get a call even better you know, but that's not why I go. Um, I'm not that serious that I won't have a drink and do shots with everybody else, you know, and we have a laugh and we have a bit of fun. But for me, it's about the people, very much so.
0: Yeah, beautiful. Well said. I love the way you phrased that. Fantastic. Now, I've been waiting all evening to talk about this. Camp Brisket. What is Camp Brisket? I know what it is, but tell the audience because I am wrapped in this idea.
1: So, in 2011, something like that, early on, about nine years ago, um, Foodways Texas, which are um, an organisation that preserve the the food of Texas, uh, came up with this idea to do camp brisket. The idea was in relation with Foodways Texas and Aaron Franklin and Texas A&M University, which is Agricultural University in College Station, which is halfway between Austin and Houston came up with this idea that, well, Texas is known for brisket. We want to teach about brisket and we're going to get talk about it from a food science perspective, which is Texas A&M University people, and then they're going to get all these pitmasters to come on a panel and talk about the wood and the smoke and the everything else and all the other practical sides of things. And what they do is they're going to cook a whole heap of briskets and give everybody comparisons and then judge the briskets and let everybody see how that turns out. So the first year they had it, it was basically, if you want to come along, you've got to be a member of Foodways Texas and you've got to just apply online and the first 50 people that get in will come to camp brisket now i'm in australia and i'm like okay it's midday i think in texas and it was 3 a.m our time and i'm like right i'm going to jump online and i waited up for it and i'm filling in my name and i get this message pop up going well camp brisket's full so (laughs) they had they had i mean our internet's pretty slow over here right um so what they, I think, what happened is they had fifty places, and I think they had three thousand people apply the first year. Oh my so they god! So just they went, they went, okay, this is not going to work. So what they did was, right, if you're a member of Foodways Texas, which is your f- starting point, and you register to go to Camp Brisket, your name will go into a hat and we'll draw names. That's it. And then the longer you've been in the draw, the higher your chance of getting a draw. So. I've been in the draw for six or seven years now. And um, at the beginning of last year, I'm like, oh, is there any point in me doing this? I've cooked a lot of brisket. I've cooked in competitions. I know a lot about brisket. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to chuck my name in the hat and I'm going to see if I get a draw. And I got drawn. So I was actually very stressed about whether or not to go. I spoke to a few different guys that cook barbecue in restaurants and everything else and spoke to a few friends in Texas. And they basically said, come, you'll meet some amazing people. And very much, I think, at some point, cooking barbecue and brisket specifically becomes about the one percenters. When you can cook a brisket and you can cook some barbecue, the one percenters that make the big difference make a big difference. You know, you're not going to learn how to cook a brisket from scratch, but you're going to learn one or two things that are going to make a massive change to the final product of what you do, and I'm all about one percenters, so I'm like, I'm going to go. So I went along, and we had people like uh, Miss Tootsie and Kerry from Snows. were talking, and Russell Raggles from Raggles Barbecue in Houston, and John Brotherton from Black Iron and Liberty Barbecue, and uh, Wayne Moore and, and 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 the list goes on, right? And you got all these guys that are there. Um, I ended up sitting next to people like. Uh, Byron Chisholm from Byron's Butt Rubs. Oh, he's uh, a Daniel. funny guy, isn't he? He's historical, you know. And, uh, I mean, people that have been in barbecue for a long time, Daniel Barrett from Diva Barbecue, Diva Barbecue, and, you know, so all these people that are there, right? And everyone's just interested in barbecue and interested in sharing and there's a lot of, you know, first-timers, but there's also a lot of restaurant people and people that are interested in barbecue. And it was just absolutely amazing. Two days of eating and talking about brisket.
0: That's absolutely fascinating that they had 50 spots, 3,000 applicants. Instead yep. of making the event bigger, they've kept it that small size yep. and they've made it like a complete ballot draw.
1: And it's, it's only one a year. Uh, I think they up the, um, the um, take to uh, um, 60, 70 people and um, that's all that they have coming in. Wow, that's phenomenal. So it's a very tight group and it's probably – I read an article somewhere that is the hardest course to get into in in America because there's that much demand for it and only a few spots. So I don't know if I'll do more in the future, but I loved it. I had a really great time. I met some amazing people and, uh, you know, all about the one percenters. So it was absolutely then worth all the,
0: the time and expense to get over there for camp Brisket? Absolutely,
1: absolutely. You know, they start off going, oh, here's four briskets, rate them. And then they come back later and they go, here's another four briskets, rate them. You don't know what you're rating. You're just t- trying briskets and you're having a look. So turns out it's different grades. It's cooked on different woods. And then what you do is you, you rate them and they give you the results. And they go, everyone preferred the Wagyu or the, choice or the select or the, whatever brisket it was and the, the pecan wood and the mesquite wood came up as similar you know scoring etc 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 so you get a you get like a whole heap of information in a very short time and i'm actually running a, a brisket masterclass in march uh, off the back of camp brisket where we're going to cook about 10 different briskets, Um, you know, grass-fed, grain-fed, wagyu, hot and fast, low and slow, wrapped in silver foil, wrapped in peach paper, unwrapped, uh, rested, not rested, and do a comparison on those as well. So as somebody said to me this weekend, I was talking to somebody about the class. They're like, it's going to take me two years to get that information on my own. I'm going to come to your class and get it all in one afternoon, you know, or one day. Yeah, that's a top
0: idea too. There's going to be so many shortcuts there for, for people that are interested in, in upping their brisket game.
1: Well, exactly right. I mean, you know, you get so many different brands and grades of briskets in this country. You can just work out which one is which. And, you know, one of the things I, I teach in my class is doneness. I don't really work with thermometers. But um, I find a lot of people don't know to tell when a piece of meat is actually ready to go, you know. A lot of things that you see online are people saying, oh, my brisket was tough, and you go, well, was it, um, you know, tough and dry or was it – dry and crumbly you know and often more often than not I think people undercook their briskets rather than cooking them further because they're too nervous to stuff it up so that's one of the things that you know we aim to teach and I aim to teach in my classes but you know it's a lot of information and a lot of brute force knowledge which I think a lot of people would benefit from and Got a project you'd like to work on with the SHC team? Shoot Ben an email on Ben at smokinghotconfessions.com and let's have a conversation. Apologies
0: for that uh for that rough button press there I accidentally pressed it there I do apologize. You were oh, saying good, No it,
1: problem. I was, ra- I was rabbiting on as I, I get excited and you know, I get carried away with you know the things that I'm talking about.
0: No no I I'm, I'm I'm still learning how to use this new mixing board I I do apologize. You were saying that it's um you were just wrapping up on your on your classes there.
1: You know, I was just saying that, you know, a lot of people, it's just—it's going to save them a lot of time, you know, to be able to uh, cut to the chase, work out which brisket to use, which would they prefer, how they would like to wrap it, and when it's ready, you know. So it saves them experimenting at home.
0: Yeah, great stuff, great stuff. Now, one of the things that I've been doing with this um, series of interviews is I've been throwing it open to the guests such as yourselves to nominate a topic of your choosing to give a lesson on uh, – to give a lesson to the listeners on. And most people will choose a protein or we've had someone choose a particular type of smoker. You've gone for something a little bit more abstract. You've gone lesson on selecting ingredients. So unpack that for us. Tell us all about this.
1: I think barbecue is a simple style of cooking. You know, it's meat and fire and smoke and time and that's all it is. So you've got nowhere to hide. So if you have a good quality product, it shines. If you have a bad quality product, you can tell immediately, you know, and I, a lot of people argue and say, look, barbecue was you know cheaper cuts of meats um, and made to be tasty. I agree with that 100 percent. But, you know, talking brisket or talking chicken or talking ribs, you know, you can go to Costco for one and go to their rib fridge and go through and just pick the three on that on top. Or you can do what I do and go dumpster diving or freezer drive, fridge diving at Costco and pull out every single rib and look at every single piece of meat. And what I do, so what I'll do is i go through the fridge, I'll make, you know, a pile of, you know, maybe ribs, definite ribs and, you know, ribs I don't want. So i pull them out and then put them back in. And I'll have a look at every single rib that's there and I'll try and choose the quality that I'm after because there's a variation in quality in the same brands be it for meat, be it for rubs, be it for fruit and vegetables, you know, um, you know, you go and stand and pick an avocado at the supermarket, you know, um, half the avocados that are soft are soft because people have picked them up and squeezed them to see if they ripe. <laughs> you know, and so it, being able to choose a quality ingredient, I think, will give you a quality finished product, uh, whatever it is you're cooking. You know, be a chicken. You know, you can go for battery chicken or you can go for free range or you can go for organic chicken. I really feel with chicken as one thing, you really get what you pay for, you know. And so tasty meats and things that you want to actually put in your mouth and eat and swallow and feed your family and friends, you know, I think when it comes down to quality ingredients, I think the, the proof is in the pudding and the proof is in the final eating and I think you get what you pay for.
0: Absolutely. Now, the, the first thing that, that pops into my mind is tomatoes. I find there's a huge difference between tomatoes I grab at the supermarket and tomatoes that I grab from the like the Sunday markets down the street, the, the farmer's markets. Um, the ones from the farmer's markets, they're homegrown, they're organic, they just taste amazing. You cut the thing open, you can smell it, it smells like a tomato. And the ones from the supermarket just don't. So, when you're going out there and you're looking for stuff um let's let's start with meats what are you looking yep. for when you're looking at meats
1: well first of all if it's vacuum sealed I'm making sure the vacuum bag's properly sealed it's not doesn't have air bubbles in it if i'm looking at the meat itself i'm making sure it's not fizzy inside uh, I'm looking at the fat striations through the meat, not the not the thicker fat on the outside. I'm looking at the fat striations through the meat. I'm talking about brisket, pork, ribs, uh, lamb, that kind of stuff. And that's what I'm looking for. So, um, you know, pork ribs, for example, if I can see striations of fat through the muscle, I know that that's going to eat really well. Um, if it's leaner, brighter, pinker meat, it means it's probably younger and there's not much fat Within the meat itself, rather than on top of the meat, and I know that that's going to eat drier, because low and slow, um, you know, is going to dry that out. Can dry that out. You know, we get, we get a lot of younger meat in this country. Um, people don't want to pay to have our animals fed longer and fattened up over time, and let the flavour develop. You know, Neil Perry very famous chefs, turned around and said, when you ask people about beef, they describe their beef as tender or not tender. They don't talk about flavor, you know. And hence we get a lot of yearling beef in this country, which is very young and very lean. And it's really not good uh, cooking meat for barbecue because if you're grilling it and you're grilling it medium red, no problem. You know, when you put it on the smoke and you cook it low and slow or hard and fast, you know, the, it's, it can dry out. So ribs, one of the biggest lessons I learned in pork ribs was with a young meat, the slower you cook it, the drier it gets. So I've been cooking my ribs hotter in about three hours at about 300 Fahrenheit and getting a really juicy rib.
0: Yeah, well, I had actually um, read and it was the first thing that popped into my mind when you started talking about this was that... In Australia, we actually process our pigs at about half the age that the Americans do, which is one of the reasons that it's that the the ribs are just physically smaller. But that also explains why there's uh, less of that intramuscular fat that you were just talking about the the striations as well.
1: Yes, and also I mean the the grass fed movement in this country. You know they they did really good marketing uh, on grass fed beef and how grass fed beef is tastier. And you know if you've got enough. Uh, uh, um, rain and your grass is richer, yes, I agree with that. But, you know, when you don't have enough richness in the grass, you need to argument the feeding with grain. You know, and you need to build up some fat in the, within the within the beasts. You know, um, you know Tasmania, where it rains a lot and the grass is richer. You look at you know some of their grass-fed product, and it looks like it could be fed on grain because the grass is richer. If it's drier, there, there's not going to be enough nutrients and enough fats within the within the grass and the grazing regime for the cattle to actually put on weight. Yeah, well, that is true.
0: I mean, we don't have the the boundless grass plains that the Americans do. I mean, eighty five percent of the country's red desert. You can't grow any grass at all.
1: Exactly right.
0: Um, so, we you you mentioned uh, brisket uh, and pork ribs there. Now, you did touch briefly there on chicken, and you said yes. that you said that when it comes to chicken, you really believe that you get what you pay for. What do you look for when you're looking for chicken?
1: Well, look, there's a lot of marketing rubbish out there with chicken. You know, I'm looking for the, the chicken of my choice um, is something that is, doesn't have hormones, uh, preferably free range, um, maybe organic if I can get it as well, you know, but uh, ke- birds that are not um, fed hormones and chemicals is probably really high up there on my list. Um, you know, uh, battery chickens, not good. You know, chicken that has... Uh, pasture areas that can run around and, you know, I'm not talking about uh, vegetarian chickens because they talk about that a lot and they say, you know, you should have chickens that are vegetarian. Well, if a chicken runs around and eat worms, it's not a vegetarian chicken. It's not as healthy. It's being fed grains and it's being kept somewhere where it can't eat worms, right? But a healthy chicken that runs around will peck at the ground and eat worms and peck at whatever's there. So that's kind of what I look for, uh, free-range, hormone-free, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I was about to say, I, I grew up on a farm and we had chickens and we just let them be chickens. And yep, I can tell much. you they are definitely not vegetarians.
1: No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. But, you know, there's some people that will advertise vegetarian chickens. And, you know, somebody goes, oh, that sounds great. But when you stop and think about it, maybe not.
0: No, no, definitely not. So, okay, so then you're obviously right into your side dishes. So we've we've lined up our meats. We know what we're looking for with our meats what do you look for in your side dish ingredients?
1: Well, again, quality vegetables in season, fruits and vegetables in season. You know, we're talking about tomatoes, right? You know, so your supermarket tomatoes are a variety of tomato that can be put into cold storage. And when you get it in the supermarket, it might've been in cold storage for three to six months. Whereas you go to a farmer's market, you know, it's fresher and comes off somebody's land. And often what my general rule of thumb is if it smells good, it's good. You know, if you can smell the tomato and it smells of tomato, you're good. I'll walk past some vegetables and if it smells like it's ripe and it's, it's in season, you can tell, you know. And if the vegetable is not in season or it's been in storage and it's not at its best, it smells of nothing.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, I love a good summer mango. And that's yes. exactly how I pick my mangoes at the at the markets. I walk through and I pick it up and I sniff it.
1: Yep, cantaloupe, like watermelon, all you know, any peaches and nectarines. We're in summer, so, you know, you walk through the markets and you just get bombarded by these smells, you know. So, you know, and, and sometimes the supermarkets are better for certain things because they just go through a massive volume, you know. But um, seasonal fruit and vegetables, not as much.
0: So at, at Southern Grace Diner then, is your menu seasonal?
1: Yes, absolutely. The The side dishes change every week based on what's available and what's in its, at its best. And that's kind of the, you know, the, the guiding um, light, if you would, the guiding uh, vision of what I'm doing is that it's seasonal um, and um, not only because it's cheaper when it's in season, but it's at its best. Mate, that
0: is beautiful. I love the sound of that. And it sounds like you're doing a lot to support local farmers and markets and all that sort of stuff as well. So points all around for that.
1: Well, I think, you know, it becomes a whole thing. And you know, if we support each other and the small businesses support small businesses, you know, everybody does well, you know. the um, That old adage of, you know, the CEO doesn't need another beach house, you know, whereas the uh, small, uh, small producers, they all need, you know, uh, school fees. You know, um, I think that's very relevant.
0: Definitely, definitely. Now, that's a beautiful point to sort of wrap up this this episode, mate. You've you've told us so much and you've, you've held nothing back, so I, I really appreciate that. I'm going to throw the studio open to you now and I'm going to say give some shout-outs to whoever you want to give shout-outs to and tell everybody where they can track you down on the internet.
1: Um, well, the shout-outs go out to all the barbecue family, you know, because we all get there together and we all help each other out. So there's far too many people to mention one by one. Uh, You can find me on uh, social media, uh, not Twitter. Uh, Temples of (laughs) Barbecue, Twitter's dead. Uh, Temples of Barbecue, Southern Grace Diner and Big Boy Barbecue, that's Big Boy BBQ, uh, Instagram and Facebook. Beautiful,
0: beautiful. All right, look, I'm going to say just one more time, thank you very much for coming on the show. I've had a ripper of a time and I've loved having you here.
1: Thanks for having me again, Ben. Much appreciated
0: so there you have it folks that wraps up see, uh episode six of season seven lance rosen from who that big list big boy barbecue competition team big boy barbecue bricks and mortar southern grace diner bricks and mortar temples of barbecue awarded cookbook and so much more how good does camp brisket sound seriously if that's not on your bucket list put it on and i'll see you there next year i don't know how i'm going to make sure i get my name drawn i'm going to have to I don't know. I don't even want to say it, but I'm going to do it. I'd have to get there. It sounds phenomenal. So huge shout out to Lance for joining me in the confessional and a big thank you for taking the time, a big thank you to him for taking the time to share his stories with us. And so that's it for today's show. So do me a favor, tell a friend about the show and make sure you invite them to the Smoking Hot Confessions barbecue community on Facebook. We're very welcoming and we love having new people join us. So until next time, Take care of each other and keep on queuing.
1: Thanks for listening to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. Head on over to smokinghotconfessions.com for recipes, tips and Ben's own confessions.